0: First Timothy chapter 3, starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded of good behaviour. Hospitable, able to teach. Not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetousness. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride... He fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Well, Amen. I we'll end our reading there at the end of verse 7. And we thank God that He blesses us when we read His truth. I'm going to pray now and ask for God's help to understand His Word together. Let's pray. <laughs> Our gracious God, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for this particular passage which you have laid before us today. We pray that in your providence, you would help each of us who are gathered here to understand it. May we understand it in our minds, believe it in our hearts, and go from this place to live it out in our lives. We need the help of your Holy Spirit to do that. And so we call upon your name now and ask, O God, for your help. Amen. As you know, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at the office of elder. And we're preparing for an election of elders over the next month or so. I'll say more about the timetable next week. We thought through about the absolute necessity for an elder to be committed as a servant of Christ and of his church. Willing to submit to Jesus through his word and to share that word with the congregation. And so it should go out without saying that an elder is a man who has been born again by the spirit of God. Someone who has been regenerated by God and brought out of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so in this sense, elders in the church are an example. An example to all believers and to non-believers of what a life lived for the glory of God looks like. I know that elders are fallen men. We need to repent of sin before the throne of grace. But even in that sense, elders should be men who repent quickly, confessing sin and seeking forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. I say all of that because what we're about to look at in these first seven verses of 1 Timothy chapter 3 could in some senses describe every mature Christian believer. These verses describe someone who is fully committed to living for the sake of Christ and his church, for the extension of the kingdom of God in their personal life, in the home, in the church, and in the world around us. And so as we look through these qualities, I want you to know two things. The first is that no one fully embodies this list. We trust that Christ displays his strength in our weakness. Nobody other than Jesus fully embodies this list. The second thing, though, is that we all, every one of us, not just the elders, all of us should seek to live out this list in our lives. As we seek to live the, the Christian life by fulfilling the law of love, loving our neighbour and loving God. These lists, this list is, is a good example to us of what a Christian person who is mature in the faith looks like. So please do have your Bibles open to First Timothy chapter 3. Paul begins by telling us that anyone who desires the position of bishop desires a good work. Now there are two words in that first verse that need teased out a wee bit for us. The first word is position. That word isn't really needed in this verse. The idea of the Greek is that if anyone desires to be a bishop, he desires a good work. Now the reason I say this is because certainly in the past and maybe in other places, the position of elder in the church was a position that people aspired to so that they could have the status of that position. And so it was that that position of elder went to people who were already in positions of authority in the community, whether that be in their professional life or through some voluntary organisation. The position of elder was desired because it was a position of prestige and honour. I think that's wrong-headed. The point that Paul is making here in this verse is not about the status, but about the work. And so when it comes to electing elders in the congregation, I hope that we can think about people who are spiritually mature and who desire the lowly task of serving the Church of Christ. Someone who is content that the first shall be last. Who is willing to put others before themselves not somebody who is seeking prestige or status or esteem now of course christ is our model here he is the god who created the world and all that is in it jesus is omnificent omniscient omnipresent and omnipotent yet he made himself nothing that was our call to worship today he made himself of no reputation He is our servant king. He humbled himself to the lowest place. Even went through the humiliation of death on a Roman cross. It is this humbling that is the work of an elder. And Paul suggests it is a good work. A second word I want to address here and much more briefly is the word bishop. This is a word which has come to be associated with the Anglican and Eastern and Roman Catholic churches, and the Greek here is the word episkopos, which you can maybe tell from that word episkopos, that's where we get the word episcopalian from. I don't want to get into a word study here today, but this word is used interchangeably in the New Testament with the word for elder, which is presbyteros. And is obviously where we get the term Presbyterian from. And so for our purposes today, we can say that when we read the word bishop in this passage, we can simply change it out for the word elder. If you'd like to know more on that, then just say to me after the service. Well, having dealt with those two words, let's dive into the meat of the passage The first word or first quality we come across is blameless. An elder should be blameless. And this is actually an overarching theme. In other words, Paul is about to give 10 qualities that he feels an elder should have. And the elder should be blameless in all of them. His life and his conduct should be above reproach. He should be innocent of blame in the following areas. Now, of course, we recognize this is aspirational. And again, it points us to Christ, the only one ever to be blameless, the only innocent man ever. And so we can see that the aim of an elder's life, and that for all Christians, is to be more like Jesus be blameless as Jesus is blameless, to be holy as he is holy, and to aspire to live the life that he calls us to, living out the salvation that's been worked into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But this is saying so far as we can judge, from what we can see on the outside, an elder must be blameless. None of us can see into anybody else's heart. Only the Lord can do that. He knows everything. We do not. And so we must judge on what we can see whenever we come to seek and elect elders who are blameless in the following areas. Now I'm going to do something here that isn't usual for me. I'm going to basically deal with this passage one word at a time. Uh, Normally, my sermons have two or three points. This sermon has 10 points, so buckle in. We're not going to spend a huge amount of time on each point, though, Uh, so please do have your Bible open. You can follow along with me. In this passage, we learn that an elder must be blameless in his faithfulness to marriage. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that an elder must be married, but it means that he should be committed to the biblical concept of marriage being between one man and one woman. If he is married, he should be faithful to that marriage. If he's not married, then he should be committed to all that it entails to be an unmarried man in terms of sex and relationships. This is something that's probably been assumed for the last number of decades in the church. But we should note that it is countercultural. It's not what our society is now saying. And it is as countercultural today as it was in the days when it was written. Paul is saying here that, contrary to some of the people at that time, and contrary to the practice of the patriarchs like Abraham and Jacob, a man is to have one wife, and that is it. It runs totally contrary to the current teaching of our society. What does our society teach? It teaches that love is a feeling which overrides everything else. That you cannot help who you fall in love with. And that with such love comes sex. Whether that's between two men or two women or a multitude of people. That's what people in our society believe. And so faithfulness in marriage is a demonstration to us of a man's faithfulness to vows that he has made in the presence of God. It shows us how he will approach the eldership because that also requires vows. On top of that, and maybe even more importantly, faithfulness in marriage shows that a man understands the concept of marriage. As a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church, showing that he understands the faithfulness required is first demonstrated by Christ in a love, a real and true love that was willing to die for his bride. The second quality is given in three words, temperate, sober-minded and of good behaviour. I'm grouping these together And I'm going to suggest that an elder must be blameless in self-control. In an elder, we need someone who shows through their life that they are cool, calm and collected. Able to show wisdom and thoughtfulness. Not somebody who rushes into things, whether those things are good or bad. Not someone impulsive, someone who is controlled in their actions and reactions. Self-control is, of course, a fruit of the Spirit, which is commended in Galatians chapter 5. And this speaks of someone who does not give in easily to temptations, one who is master of their desires and urges. Self-control is really important. I have a little book at home about the eldership by a Scottish pres—excuse me—by a Scottish Presbyterian called David Dickinson. And in that book, Dickinson notes that there is no bell to ring an elder to his work. There's no starting and stopping time for the work of an elder. It's work that can be done at any time, and any time work can easily become no time work. An elder must have the self-control and self-discipline to rise himself to carrying out the task of being an elder without being told what to do. Thirdly, an elder's hospitality should be blameless. As I said to the boys and girls, our world is filled with lonely people. Lots of lonely people in our world. It's an elder's role to make sure that those people are not forgotten. That they are cared for and brought fully into the fellowship of the church. Of course, this is perhaps something that an elder has traditionally shared with his wife, and that's brilliant. An elder's home should be a place where people are comfortable to call for a chat. Comfortable to open up about spiritual matters. A home where people are welcomed and where people are cared for, both physically and through prayer. I want to say on this note that I assure you, and can I please assure you, that if you didn't know already, this is very much a a desire for Kate and me. It's a take us as you find us kind of situation at the manse, but our doors are always open. You are most welcome. And I mean that most welcome to call any time you need anything. But fourthly, an elder is to be blameless in his teaching ability. Able to teach. Not all elders are called to labor full time in preaching and teaching as I am, but all elders should have a grasp of the Bible. They should be able to explain it at a basic level. All elders should be comfortable to lead a small, maybe only a one-to-one, but a small Bible study. This requires knowledge of the Bible, but it also requires confidence to share the Word of God with others. When you think about electing an elder, think about someone you know who has confidence handling the word of God. Of course, there is help for elders in this, both from the minister and from the central church. There are wonderful courses helping people handle God's word. Uh, The Presbytery Academy uh, and Newry Presbytery Academy is just one example of that. As a total aside, by the way, can I say if you are someone who desires the work of an elder and And someone who feels maybe a particular burden towards teaching and preaching, let me know about that. It's important that you would talk to me about that and we can talk through some options. Well, fifthly, an elder should be blameless in his drinking habits. If we were in another country, perhaps England or America, this wouldn't be as sensitive an issue as it is here in Northern Ireland. I know there are going to be a variety of opinions in this room about drinking alcohol and whether Christians should be teetotal. I'm not going to get into that today. If you want to chat about it, I'd be happy to. But this is not saying that an elder should be teetotal. It says that an elder should not be given to wine. That is that an elder should have a good relationship with alcohol, not be ruled over by drink. And for some that will mean total abstinence and for others it won't but an elder should not be given to wine in other words should not be controlled by alcohol well secondly then an elder should be blameless when it comes to his temper here i'm i'm taking these different terms not violent Gentle and not quarrelsome. I'm I'm taking those together. This is an issue for many people. Quick to fly off the handle and lose the rag. I'm sure if you asked my boys at home, they would let you know about someone who can lose their temper. But an elder should aspire to be calm, not violent, and especially not physically so. An elder has great authority in the church, ruling on behalf of Christ. But this authority should be exercised with all gentleness and humility. John Stott calls it sweet reasonableness. This is both important with members of the congregation, but also within the Kirk session itself. Neither of those things should be approached in a manner where physicality, violence or temper is used to control other people. To put it positively, an elder should be gentle and able to control his temper. Number seven, an elder should be blameless in his attitude to money. And I'm rolling covetousness in here as well. There are many, many people, even in our day, who use the church and who use the gospel as a means to make money. And this is a very shameful thing. Now, when it comes to ministers, the Bible is clear that a worker deserves his wages. And can I also assure you today that there is no one becoming a minister in the PCI in order to get rich. There are better ways to do that. But there are others around the world like Joel Osteen and Joyce Mayer. People who have become immensely rich from the so-called prosperity gospel, which is no gospel at all. Asking people to send money for prayers. Promising wealth to their followers. An elder in the church should not be motivated in any way by money. It's like with alcohol. Alcohol. It's about not allowing money to rule over your life. And that is the case for many people. Quite often the root of that is the covetousness or jealousy. To have more money and more stuff. To be like someone else. That is not what controls an elder. The best way to describe that I think is to say that an elder should be content. Number eight, an elder should be blameless in discipline in the home, rules his own house well. The way that a man pastors his own family can say a lot about how he will shepherd the flock of God. What does this mean? Well, it means that family worship is a priority. An elder is someone who has family worship with his family who gathers his family together to pray, seeking to see his children make a profession of faith, encouraging them in their own prayer life and Bible study. again, I have to say, uh, and I, I myself am I, I'm, I'm personally convicted by a lot of these things. This is an ideal, it's It's aspirational. And just as in the church there are those who hear the gospel and choose not to accept Jesus, so that might be the case in an elder's home. And of course that comes with tears and it comes with sadness and it comes with prayers for that young person to come to salvation in Christ. Number nine, an elder should be blameless in spiritual maturity. Not a novice, says Paul. As I've said already, it should go without saying, but in many places it doesn't. We're looking for a born-again Christian here. An elder must be saved. But Paul is also careful to say we're not looking for an immature believer. We want someone who is mature in their faith. Someone who can deal with being elected to the role of elder, without becoming proud of it. Someone who will accept the responsibility with humility and grace. That doesn't mean we're looking for old men, whatever that might mean. Physical age doesn't actually feature heavily in this discussion. What we're talking about is spiritual maturity. Someone who has been a Christian long enough to be realistic about the faith, and about their expectation of others. We don't want headstrong and overly zealous elders. We want mature, composed elders who, if nothing else, have the wisdom to rein in and counsel a minister who, from time to time, can be headstrong and zealous. And well, finally, number 10: an elder should be blameless in his reputation with outsiders. What do those outside the church think of this person? Is their reputation in the church different from how it is outside the church? And why would that be? An elder should have good respect and good witness in the wider community. For centuries, the devil has tried to undermine the church of Christ By causing leaders in the church to have public falls from grace. And this is something we should be careful about when we elect elders. We're looking for someone whose reputation is blameless. Well, there you have it. Ten qualities that you should be blameless in to be an elder. Let me finish by circling back to the start. If anyone desires the position of bishop, he desires a good work. Well, I wonder, does anybody here still desire this work? In some ways, it all sounds very difficult, doesn't it? It's a high and heavy calling. And yet... Aren't these qualities which we should all aspire to as members of Christ's kingdom? Don't we recognize that fulfilling these in our own lives would make us more like Jesus? That is the goal of our faith, to grow in godliness and be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And so these are qualities we're looking for in an elder And when it comes to voting, please think about who within our congregation best embodies these qualities. But equally, friends, can I ask you to aspire to these yourself. Aspire to be like Jesus. And to know that it is Christ himself who through the Holy Spirit working in his word makes us more and more like him. So when we feel, which we will, We can fall on the mercy and grace of our Saviour. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He has perfected it through his finished work on the cross. But he is equally perfecting it in each one of us as we become more like him through daily and weekly repentance and renewal in our faith aspiring to grow up to be more like our big brother, the only perfect elder, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment in prayer to him now. Let's pray.